I'd like if you're willing to share, don't feel obliged, I'd be curious to know what was your response to the news on Tuesday? How did you feel? What did you say? What was your own personal response to the shooting that happened in Texas this past Tuesday? What did it mean? How did you feel? What, what happened with you? Ian. At first for me it was a feeling of just mourning a broken heart. Yeah. You know, thinking as a parent selfishly, right? Mm. With kids in elementary school. Like, what would that mean for us? What would that look like? What would that feel like? And that's hard. And then I, I feel like not shortly thereafter it moved to like anger and frustration. Like we've been seeing this for 25 years. Mm. It's not plus. It's not new. It's old. And like I'm just I'm tired and weary to keep seeing this again and again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I echo those thoughts and feelings. I hear you. What else? How did we respond? How did we feel? How did we <laughs> cope? I just like immense sadness, I guess, at Sadness. First. And then immediately like to fear. Because I'm sandwiched right now between a husband that's a teacher and a daughter that's a teacher. So like right. you can't help but as mm-hmm. a mom or a parent, I think, like you just can't help but like put yourself there or, you know, or feel like it, you know, could be you. You just can't you kind of go down that road whether you want to or not. Right. Right. And just like for me, just like praying for those for the families. Into prayer, yeah. Just yeah. know who they are, I still don't. I don't really like watch yeah. the news like that, but right. whoever they are. Right. Yeah, I don't watch the news often either. So this happening like pulled me back into the news to know what had gone on. And um, everything you see is just the worst kind of tragedy. What else? There was another hand I saw, I guess, in the back. Maybe Sally, Patrice. Yeah, Sally. Well, if your hand's up, you're welcome to. You don't have to. It's okay. I wasn't surprised. Okay. We live in a broken world mm-hmm. with broken people. And we keep trying to legislate um, good. Yeah. We keep trying to legislate good, and it's a heart issue. Mm. You know, I personally think that the only way it's going to get straightened out is Jesus is going to come and straighten it out. Amen. Not that we don't pray, not that we don't legislate. I mean, something does need to be done. But for me, the bottom line is... People need to be saved. Hmm. I hope the way she prefaced it just shows that with this topic as with every other, you feel like you're walking on landmines when you just want to share what's on your heart. It shouldn't have to be that way. And in this place, please, this church, this building among family and friends, please make it a safe place. Feel how you feel. Let God speak to you in your own way. We may not all feel the same part. It may be different facets that we respond most to, and that's okay. And we can have dialogue, but just thank you for sharing. I encourage as we talk together as family, we're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to have different things that hit us harder than others. Um, That shouldn't be what tears us apart. It should be something that makes us diverse and, and beautiful. But anyway, thank you for sharing that, Sally. Patrice, then Dave. 25 or 30 years ago, like Ian said, we've been seeing this. 25 or 30 years ago, they stopped these mental health facilities where people could come, get help. Now they just put them in the streets. They live in tents in Brockton. We see it every weekend. That's right, that's right. Um, You know, this kid had problems, and, Mm -hmm. and he had problems early on. 
his, his friends that he worked with used to call him the school shooter. <coughs> he, he, and, and then this, um, they said he was bullied. He wasn't bullied. He was the bully. He was aggressive, and nobody did anything about that. And that's where it's going to stop. We're going to pay attention to these kids. So your mind went to the, the things that cause, the factors that are involved and what needs to be fixed so that it doesn't just continue. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Dave, what came to your mind? Um, all the things that people said, but I really got something that I thought was pretty different in the sense mm-hmm. that um, the news station that I watched, um, for the first time I saw it on a national broadcast, they actually talked about it starts with God and it starts with all right. It starts with the families um, hmm. recognizing these situations, and as she said, as the, the you know we're a broken country. Hmm. Um, they've kicked God out of school. They've kicked God out of everything, basically. Hmm. And, you know, I was just kind of I felt hopeful that a, a large media station was actually publicly going out and saying this, which that is interesting. You know, walking on a landmine is <laughs> right. Right. So I thought that was, in some way, because mm-hmm. we know how media affects this entire world, right. that actually happened. I felt some yeah. hope that okay. it was being discussed, um, yeah. which I'd never heard before. Yeah. Okay, thanks for sharing that that moment. Yeah, Ellen, how about you? I just think evil is just getting more and more prevalent. I do believe this is spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. and that it, it, it's all... It's, it's, it's all it's happening down here, but they're fighting above. And uh, I mean, it breaks my heart. I I, I could I can't watch it. I'll, I'll watch it, and I just get so upset inside that my stomach. I know. Is it's so hard to watch. So, yeah. um, but you know, you just you think of the heartbreak, and you just think, you know, if he if he hated life that much, well, just kill yourself. You know, why do you have to take nineteen kids and, and traumatize? Not even the other kids in that classroom, but the other kids at that school, and then all the mm-hmm. kids in the other. Right, classroom. you just see the ripples of what that evil is going to do. Right, right. I mean, our kids all right. went to school talking about right. it. Right, um, You know, the little kids. So it's just so disheartening. And, you know, I, I, I saw something, I don't know where, but it was like, um, you know, this is evil, and you can't legislate evil because mm-hmm. people don't care. They don't care about the laws. They don't care. This, there's no stopping they decide they're going to do something, yeah. they'll do it. And right. it's just really sad that that's how it is. And I think another thing is prayer out of schools. That's one of the, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just really think, how, how many kids don't even know who God is because they've never been shown it. They don't, they don't say, who, who's that God we're praying to in the morning? <laughs> you know, right. when we start school day. You know, what, right. what's, you know, even the Pledge of Allegiance half the time isn't being said anymore, so... I don't know. It's people kind of get what we ask for. Well, God is light, right? So the further away from God you get, the darker it gets. And like that's what's happening. We're just walking further and further. It's just getting darker and darker. And uh, there's no hope in that. But I hope that as we talk and think about this, I'm sure there's many more things that could be said. Please do continue these conversations. Um, What I hope doesn't happen to us is that we get so overwhelmed that we feel like it's hopeless. 
It is not hopeless. We are not helpless and hopeless sorts of people, even if this world is a dark, dark, dark sort of place. But it's like, what can we do? We're not in Texas, and how can we change? And you can't legislate it. The feelings of just evil's out there, and so maybe the the huddle and protect mentality or just the numbness, we don't know what to do. Jamie, do you want to speak to that particular point? Yeah, I was so dismayed, and I couldn't intellectually or spiritually gain understanding yeah. to it. It didn't make sense. Yeah. Was, and there was a sense of sadness and empathy and numbness all at the same time. Yeah. But what I noticed is I didn't know what to pray specifically for because the calamity of the pain for those parents and people, it right. just, it was so confusing that I thought, isn't it great that the Holy Spirit in us can grow for us? Because I sure as heck don't know right. right now. And it was... I was just lost. Right. Like there was no clarity as to like what we can do. I know that we all strive to identify something that we can do to fix right. it. Right. Um, it's just so painful. It's yeah. Awful. I, I firmly believe that we are called to be Christian in our response. Not just human level like empathy or, or physical need. There's something beyond that. There's something gospel in our response that's needed. And all of us being different, it may look different. That's fine. It's not like there's a cookie cutter answer or thing, but there's something that needs to drive our response. Like the Christians directly in that community, they have a special obligation, a special opportunity, a special need. But Christians everywhere, like everyone's talking about what is our response. We shouldn't just have a uh, a generic response. We're not generic people. We have a certain kind of hope that should speak to these situations, but they are so complicated. I'm not going to stand here and say that I have all the answers, but I say, what does the Bible give us as a way to respond? There has to be a Christian response. I think it's our, our bare minimum is a Christian response. And so then I started thinking about the scripture for this week. All right, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. And it feels like, yes, we're seeing it again, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I thought, well, if he's overcome the world, why is this stuff still happening? Doesn't that seem like a weird statement to make? If this is post-Jesus and he said he's overcome the world, then what's going on right now? Was he wrong? Was it temporary? Is he talking about something else? And that's where my mind went. Like, I wanted to wrestle with how can Jesus have overcome the world if this is what it looks like? It's like maybe he didn't do a very good job overcoming the evil that's out there. Because there's still plenty. But then I know that he also says in this world you'll have trouble. And he says he's coming at the end to be the judge. So even all the way to the end there's going to be trouble. So what does it mean to overcome the world then if we're living in such a mess? And the more I looked at it, the more one word, and it's probably the least likely word in the whole sentence, it's kept standing out to me. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. It's past tense, actually in the perfect tense, but it's something that's already happened. This is very interesting because Jesus hadn't yet died on the cross. This means when Jesus said, I have overcome the world, he was not specifically talking about the cross and the resurrection. Where he definitively kind of like gives us access to God and provides atonement. He's saying it before that. Now, if he had said that to the apostles after appearing to them, it would make a different kind of sense. I have overcome the world like I've overcome death. Look at me. I'm here. But it's before that. So Jesus is saying, in the way I've lived, in the life that I've lived, in what God has given me to do, I have overcome everything that the world has thrown at me. It did not destroy me. It did not defeat me. 
Think of it like overcoming an obstacle rather than being the victorious king. If you overcome a country, you're a conqueror, you take it over and you rule it. But that hasn't happened. Jesus didn't take over everything and make everything right. There's another day for that. What he did is he showed it is possible to overcome everything in it. To make it through. So overcomer, as literally I'm picturing in my mind, someone who comes over something. You like scale the mountain and you crest it and you come over the top and you make it to the other side. Jesus was someone who came over everything. He overcame all the persecution, all the times people wanted to kill him and it wasn't his time and they couldn't. All the times people called him a hypocrite. All the times people said, you have a demon, that's how you heal people. He overcame the Romans that were against him. He overcame, not in the sense that he he did away with Rome, in the sense that Rome couldn't stop him. He came over everything that was thrown in his... It's past tense. I have overcome the world. Every sin was presented to him, and yet he didn't fall into any of them. So that means for every sin that comes to us, there's a way over it. There's a way not to be ruined by it. Every temptation was given to him, and yet he didn't fall to them. So that means every time desires and addictions and... Worldly ethics and thought patterns tempt us to go that way, to think that way, to feel that way. They don't have to ruin us. There is a way over. I have already overcome the world. So it's kind of like that emphasis. Instead of saying, Jesus has overcome the entire world, emphasis on world, it's like, Jesus is the one who overcame the world. And he calls us, we're going to read it, to be those who overcome. How? By faith in him. Because if he did it, he can help us do it. And so in this situation, Jesus, instead of saying, how can we get evil out of the world, is saying, how can we survive evil with our hope intact? How can we surmount the mountain of evil in a school shooting at an elementary school and not become bitter, resentful people? How can we see the anger in others and overcome that anger and not end up just being just as angry ourselves that everybody's just angry at everybody and there is no love or hope to counteract it? Overcoming is different in that way if we can get through it and beyond it and be on the other side and look back and like that was a lot of hate that we experienced. It didn't destroy us. And it didn't prove that God wasn't here and it didn't prove that there isn't such thing as goodness. It was just a lot of hate that we had to get over and it was hard to climb. It was a big mountain, right? Now it's a big mountain of anger and injustice and fear and all those things. Okay, we are overcomers. Jesus experienced even more than this, greater than this, and he overcame it and then made it to the end for the final victory. He still had that battle to fight, right? And we still ultimately have that battle to fight. But his life, he proved that coming over the world, making it over, is possible. I'd like to read John chapter 16, just the end of it, and then go to 1 John, the the letters that John wrote to the church, because he, he brings back this theme of being overcomers in a way that Jesus starts it, and then he applies it to the church, and that's what we want, right? What does it look like to overcome evil? What does it look like to overcome the world? Well, we're going to read it in Jesus' words and then hear how John wrote it in a letter later on in his life, much later in his life. 
and see if God can speak to us on what it would mean for us to be overcomers. So we're in John chapter 16, and we'll start with verse 25 and go all the way through 33. John 16, 25. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I love that statement. That Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves us. Verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. As disciples had one of those like aha moments. Like, ah, now you're speaking more plainly. Not using just the figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things. And you don't need anyone to question you. That's why we believe that you came from God. So Jesus answered them, So you now believe? Look, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Now I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've said these things so that you may have peace. So the reason Jesus is saying this is because the world is wicked. Because they're about to see an execution a day later than this statement. They're about to see him executed, crucified. He said, I want you to have peace. You're going to leave me alone, but the Father never leaves anybody alone. The Father himself loves you. I want you to take peace in that. I will be okay. God has us. In me you may have peace. This world is about to get a lot worse, he said, tomorrow, tonight. But have some courage. Take heart. Boost that feeling of it's going to be okay even though it's not okay. Fan that flame of God's got me, even if the world's after me. Encourage those feelings of God save us. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world, past tense, that perfect tense. It means it's something that's already happened, but it's kind of carrying on into the presence. I have gotten through it all. He said, I've made it to the end. We have not yet made it to the end. We are in the world, and so we can take heart because in him we have peace, and he is an overcomer. We are overcomers in him. All right, so I'm flipping to 1 John. Like I said, we're, we're going there next. Flip, flip with me to a chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 12. He's writing to this audience, to this church, and he, he categorizes them as little children, young men, and fathers. This can apply to people of those ages. Uh, some scholars see this as applying to people at different levels of faith, new baby Christians and like growing Christians and mature Christians. But he speaks to them at different places in life, different places in faith, and encourages them to overcome evil. So let's see how he calls the church to be overcomers as well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I am writing to you, the Apostle John says, little children... Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So, you know, little children, you're safe. You've been saved. 
I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You know, the mature or the fathers, you know God the Father. And I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And this kind of in some ways describes our journey through evil. As little children, we just sort of believe, yes, we love you, God. We've been saved. And as, as parents and as adults, we've lived through some things and hopefully we've come to a place where like, well, it's us and you, God. We've had ups and downs that we've weathered and, and it's we're together. It, it's this or nothing. And, and the young men, the young ones, as we like experience all those changes in life and temptations, there's overcoming that needs to happen. Not that it doesn't for kids or, you know, established adults, but there is just that learning curve of those, think high school, think college, think young uh, 20s and 30s. Like that's, there's a lot of overcoming that needs to be done to get to a place or more established and see what God has done. So I love how he breaks into those three categories. He does it a second time, rephrases a little bit, but repeats himself. So let's read that, picking up in verse 13. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then he goes on, children, it's the last hour. So that's why some scholars think they're talking about adults here, because he's probably not writing to little kids. And he refers to them then as children, so it's probably where you are in your faith. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that God's got us, just a childlike faith. That can be the perfect response in light of evil. And maybe that's been your response. Maybe that should be our response this last week. Just, God, please. I love you and you have to be you. you know, maybe as a more established Christian, you, you look back and know how God has always been there and seen how God has worked in your whole life and know if God's been this way from the beginning and evil's been there from a little bit after the beginning, then God can get us through this evil too. We've seen a lot in our lives, and so if there's another thing that comes, well, this is also not beyond God. So as a parent, as an adult, we look back and our history reminds us what we've learned, what we've seen. God is still good, even though this is not good. And then young men, there's a strength there based on God's word. What do we know about God? Who do we believe him to be? And is he helping us right now to overcome the things that we're facing so that our faith can grow in permanence? So he says these things. And then in chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's like a verse in each that I just want to reference. So flip over 1 John chapter 4 and um, verse 4. 1 John 4, 4. He continues, right? It's a letter. It's one letter to the same people. So he's still just writing to his, his family in the faith. 1 John 4, 4, uh, John writes, Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'll say it again. Little children, you are from God, like sent from God. 
of God. And you have overcome. There's that have thing again, right? We're all in the middle of life. He's writing to people that are in the middle of life. They've not died and resurrected. This isn't the second coming. This is in life. Where you've been, you have come over the things that the world has given to you. And whether you have a childlike faith or a mature faith or you're struggling and trying to build that faith and grow in it, little children, you are God's people. And you've come over a lot that the world has thrown in you. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this is where chapter 5 kind of defines it. What does it mean to overcome the world? It's literally defined by John uh, in 1 John 5, uh, 4 and 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Period. Statement. Promise. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. When we feel like we don't know what to say or pray and we're about to lose it all, we are of God. Everyone who is His gets pulled or dragged or carried or blessed or flown or pushed over. You make it. We make it. We get to the other side. It doesn't matter what the journey is or if we fall back 10 steps on this side of the mountain or scrape our knees all the way up and down or don't even have shoes to walk on the rocks. It doesn't matter. We make it. That's the promise. And that's a foundational belief that helps us to cope when the mountain looks like this. We're going to make it. I don't know how, but God is here. That's why our faith is in Jesus because Jesus crested, he scaled, he climbed, he repelled, he did whatever he needed, and he overcame everything that the world had to throw at him. And so can we. We are not helpless. We are not hopeless. Everything around us may be burning, but not us. Not us. We survive. We somehow make it. And we don't even need to know how because it's not us doing it by our own strength. Our overcoming is done by Jesus. It's like he's climbing ahead and there's a rope tied from him to me. You're just hanging on. It's like you're a little kid and he's just carrying you. Maybe you're really little and you're in a baby Bjorn and Jesus is just hiking. And your little legs are swinging. Little children, right? You have overcome evil. Not that it doesn't exist. This actually promises that it will exist. Every single one of you is going to feel the evil and see the evil and experience it. But it will not overcome you because you have something more. You have something more than evil. And so this is where we're like, okay, well, what more? We like this so far. What am I supposed to do about it besides just be at home and feel scared? Besides rail against all the injustices that happen in the world. Because guess what? Even if we fix it, it's like a dam that has lots of little leaks in it. You plug a bunch, more are going to come out. In this particular shooting, I expected to read more about the story and, and think that it was sort of like a backwater town where they didn't have any security systems because they maybe hadn't advanced that far yet. Or it was such a small community that they didn't even lock their doors. That's not what I found. 
they had these systems for tracking people and checking people in and out and things that were this and like a technology and more security had been, uh, more police had been brought on staff just a couple of years before. So the measures to like plug all the leaks in the dam were being taken. Taken enough? No. Prevent it? No. But it just made me think like maybe even if we did every preventative measure, Eve would find a way in. And then you just feel hopeless. And then no matter how many millions we send and throw into school security, it's never going to be safe. Maybe. But that can't lead us to feeling helpless and hopeless. We are Christians in this world. We are God's people. And greater is he that is in us and is in the world. So, okay, maybe our hope is not going to be in the security systems. Maybe our hope is not going to be in the money thrown at it. Maybe there's going to be something more. What is it that we have to bring to the table? What is it that we can do against this mountain of evil? And my response to that, and the chapter we're going to read that answers it, just says, God has made each one of us specifically as, how do I say this? Skill-bearing, God's image-bearing, counter-evil people. You've been put here with specific ways that you can counteract evil and give him glory. And it's different for each one. But you've been specifically designed that you on earth counteracts the evil that you will experience. And if all of God's people were to act on God's behalf in all the places, would it eradicate all the evil? No, but we would be living his good news out and would be creating these pockets of kingdom heaven on earth, right? Places where we see God at work, places where miracles are happening, places where supernatural protection overcomes the world's protection, places where we enact wisdom and leadership, and all of a sudden now our, our, our school security things are, are better because of the wisdom that God provided to people who spoke in those places, and peace happens instead of just a nation turning on itself and devouring itself, everyone angry at everyone just because it hurts so much. We're actually perfectly designed not to overcome all the evil in the world, but to get over all the evil that we will encounter. And where we find that is in Romans chapter 12. We're going to read Romans chapter 12. It ends with that very famous statement, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we have a little word study today on, on the word overcome and where it appears in the New Testament and how it's used because it's really easy to be overcome by the awfulness of what's going on. But that doesn't then get us anywhere. We grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. Amen. That's scriptural. We should have our hearts broken. But if we're brokenhearted and like useless, then we're just waiting to be brokenhearted again. If we're brokenhearted and complacent, then we're not showing compassion or empathy or helping someone who's lost, has no compassion from God, no hope from God. So what good is it? It's like step one, break. <laughs> step two, climb. And each one of us climbs differently. And that's what Romans chapter 12 is about. It's the gifts that God gives us. And we're not talking about spiritual gifts in kind of like a classroom setting here. We're not talking about... The theoretical things, we're talking about the tangible ways that you talk to people and that I talk to people, that we help people, that we live. Jesus said in the way that he lived, his lifestyle was the sort of life that overcame the world. 
When we stand before God, I would love to be able to say the life that you gave me was one that overcame the world in every obstacle that we hit. Not because of myself, but because you were there and Jesus dragged me up and over that mountain. But it's going to look different for me. And so I read chapter 12 and say, well, where do I see myself in this? How is God calling me to specifically, personally preach light, fight evil, bring good into this world which needs it so desperately instead of just hiding from the world and letting it burn? Firefighters, right? EMTs were supposed to be spiritual emergency response kind of people specifically for times like this. If our faith doesn't do us any good in this situation, it's no good. It's no good for anything. If it's just good when things are easy then it's no help. Things were already easy. This is the time we say, what does our faith do? What does it do? What does it look like? How does it come out? How do we say it? And if it doesn't work, then we got to go back to the, the drawing board and say, well, it worked fine for Jesus, despite all he faced. So why isn't it working for me? What is my faith all about? It has to be alive right now. It has to come alive. So Romans 12. Read the whole chapter. So just listen and find yourself in here. Think of people around you. Be like, oh, I bet this is them. And then recognize these are specifically the ways that you're called to be God in this world, this evil world. So Paul writes now, move from John to Paul. Paul writes, I beg you, brothers, by God's mercy, present your bodies as a living, ongoing sacrifice. Like every day, give yourself as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because this is spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't look like everybody else, but be changed, be transformed, be made new. Be resurrected even while you're still living. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that by testing, we're in a test right here. How will we respond? By our testing, we can discern what God's will is and what is good and what's acceptable, what's perfect. For by the grace given to Paul, given to me, he says, I say to everyone, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Think soberly, with good judgment, humbly, he could say, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For just as in one body we have very many different parts, members, and the members don't all have the same function, so we, though we are many, new hope, we're different, we are one body in Christ, and we are individually parts and members of one another. And we have great gifts, sorry, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So let us use them. If it is prophecy, you know, speaking the words of God, well then do that in proportion to your faith. If it is in serving, then let us serve. For the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who challenges and exhorts and pushes in his exhortation, to the one who contributes, the one who gives to do so generously, to the one who leads leadership, to do it with zeal, with passion, to the one who does acts of mercy, to do it with cheerfulness. Let our love be genuine. Let it be real. Right now, Christians, let God's love in us be a real thing, not a theoretical thing, not a it's fleeing because the world's so bad and we're losing it thing. Let it be real. Abhor is what my translation says. What is evil? Other ones say hate. Hate the evil. Hate that this happened to the world. Hate that this happened to those children. Hate that this happens because of sin. But... Hold fast to what is good, because there is still good. 
Hold on to that. Don't let that go. Protect that. Fight for that. Verse 10. Love one another. So start here. Love one another with brotherly affection. Try to outdo one another. It's like a competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. Lift people up. Do not be slothful. Don't be lazy in your passion. But be fervent in your spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Not the bad now, but the good then. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in your tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Give. Donate. Give of finances is talking here. Contribute possessions materially to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Share food. Open your home. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud or haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, somehow, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Some people take that to be sort of like a political approach, maybe pacifism or something like that. The way I take this to be is what the Christian lifestyle is supposed to look like. Because in the very next sentence, Paul writes, let every person be subject to the authorities because God's appointed them to administrate justice and judgment. So like I think within the government, the government's job is to keep people safe. And it has failed in this case. You know, that's their job. What's our job? Now, if you're in government, then you've assumed that role. But most of us are not in government, but every one of us are in Christ. So in Christ, what's your job? Your job is to show the love of God despite the crazy world. And every one of these examples are things that can be done. Now, if we lived in Texas, right in that community or in the surrounding communities, what would it look like to use our hospitality as a weapon against evil? That would be a real thing. You invite someone into your home to just cry together and have a meal. But could that be done here as well? We just said for all of us that was our last week. What if this upcoming week we use hospitality as a weapon against evil and we overcome the evil by inviting each other into our homes and just having a meal? You don't need the answers. <laughs> you just need each other. You need Christ. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What, will, what hope will come from using our hospitality like a weapon of good to overcome evil? Seems like hospitality is, ah, I made a meal. How powerful is a meal when all you feel is sad? To be with someone when you feel alone. All of these are that same way. Generosity. We're from afar, but maybe there are churches right in that community that we should be sending money to to help them as they do outreach because they don't have a large budget, but they want to help the people, and they're right there. Can we use our money as a weapon against evil by having some unexpected check show up at a church that's a good gospel-teaching church there so that God may use that money for them as they're actually going door-to-door, handing out things, encouraging people, Speaking, those pastors there, they're probably being called to come and give prayers at all sorts of funerals, at all sorts of assemblies in local schools, at all sorts of police stations where the officers are going through their own trauma and the chaplains are being called, please pray for us. 
can we support them? What can we do for them? And if it is us that stand one day in that ground zero of that tragedy, how will we use these things? Not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with all these sorts of good. How easy it is to hate people when bad things happen. Look what they did, look what they did, and we hate them for that. Yeah, but sin is what ruined them. Sin is the enemy. The battle we fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We, we, we actually have regretful, compassionate, justice-filled response to people who act on that sin, whose sin takes them over. And they can, can we hate the evil, but somehow still pray for God's grace and mercy as well as his justice? What's our role in it, right? These are hard things. And if we say, here's the clear-cut answer, that goes straight to hypocrisy. But we are called to say, how is God calling me to respond? And I think the worst possible thing we could do is say, it's too far away. It's got nothing to do with me. How could my gifts have any relevance in that situation? The world is evil. You know, we rely too heavily on, in the world we'll have trouble. <laughs> it's in the Bible, in the world we'll have trouble. Well, there it is, another example yeah, but what about the overcoming that comes in the next sentence? That's there too. So maybe we get knocked down like the disciples. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Right? We are persecuted, but we are not crushed. <laughs> what does it look like to feel that grief and then respond with real love, not just talk? To hate this kind of evil, but not become the people that hate sinners because we're sinners until God redeemed us and thank God that he did. And so how can we love people and hate the sin that they're committing and know that we hate our own sin when it gets into us? Which do you think would be the more fruitful long-term solution? If every human could get rid of the evil inside of them individually or if we could just eradicate the evil out in the world? can't legislate against sin in that way. can have all the perfect laws. If the sin is still inside, it comes out. So actually, the better thing is to be praying for that transformation on the inside because then what comes out is going to be the right thing. We're praying for souls to be saved, not just security systems to be improved. Let us absolutely improve as much security as we can. I never want to see this either again, Ian. So what can we do? But if there's sin, it's going to show. So let's be even more passionate about God, getting God's word into this world through things like prayer, patience, zealousness, energy, you know, passion, brotherly love, teaching. This morning is an example of that for me, right? What can I do in the world? God has given me a responsibility and a calling to teach and to exhort people to like move, like go, let's go. So on this day, I need to use my gift to say, well, then let's go. Don't just sit down. Cry and then get up and go or go while you're crying. Keep crying while you're serving. Have tears running down your face while you're writing a check. You can keep on grieving. It's not like, oh, we're past that and now we're doing good deeds. Like feel it. But don't 
not do anything. So this is me saying, okay, God, you called me to be a teacher and exhorter. I want to exhort us. I'd love to see every single person in this room pray more powerfully, give more generously, be more active in sharing the gospel this week than we even were last week. Okay, last week was the numbness. Fine. Let this week be our response. Let's be overcomers, not people who just crumble. Crumble at first and then get picked up. And let Jesus, our faith is what helps us overcome. It's the tow rope dragging us up and over the mountain. It's like Ray's ATV broken down on the top of the mountain, but he's got a buddy. And that buddy's ATV still works. This has probably happened a hundred times because I've heard most of these stories. And you attach the rope and you just drag them home. You've towed how many people home over the years? You've been that one that their faith was in you to drag them out of the situation that they were in. They were buried. They were swamped. The axe was broken, right? The million stories. So you dragged them out. Their faith wasn't in their machine or in if they could personally just be strong enough to drag it out of the mountains. But they knew someone who knew the way out. They knew someone who had the ability and had proven it. You've proven it again and again. You can get out of those situations. We still don't know how, but you do it every single time. So there's a lot of faith. If I was riding with you, I'd be like, well, Ray will figure it out. He has every other time. That's Jesus. Jesus has figured it out. He's towed us out of situations. And this may be the worst one for some that they'll ever experience. But he can tow them out of this too. And if we speak that word into the world, then we're not just responding as humans. We're responding as people with hope. We're responding with people that don't have faith. In our, I don't have faith that I will always do the right thing. I don't have faith that sin will never get the best of me. I don't have faith that I will resist every temptation. I'm not perfect like Jesus. I'm just filled with Jesus so that I can try to manage. I'm being towed by Jesus so I get over my hills and valleys of the shadow of death. You know? This is what an overcomer is. And Jesus has overcome the world. And in the past tense, we have overcome it. We're sitting here, are we not? We are sitting here today. That means that every day up to this point, no matter whether it was good or bad, hard or easy, we overcame it. We came over that day, and we're here in this day. It's like, well, where do we want to go from here? Where are we going to go? And there's a lot of people who can't get over the mountain. And I, I wonder for some of those parents and teachers, like, how will they ever? I don't know. Maybe they can't. But if God puts his people around them to just offer a lifeline, to help stand alongside, like, come ride with me, or like, can I tell you, any help that we can give can help the healing process so that eventually they might be able to see hope as well. And these are the particular ways that we do it. Everyone does it differently. Hospitality, giving, teaching, exhorting, mercy. As far as it is possible for us, bring peace every place we go. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to ask you to turn to the two or three or four people around you and just think out loud what it's going to look like for you this week to try to come over this evil with the good that is in you with your gifts. What will you say? What will you do? Who will you pray with? What teachers will you send an encouraging card to? Whatever it may be. Think together about yourself specifically. You have gifts. You have callings. How will you use them this week to overcome the evil that we're all experiencing?